Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. More good news for those of us who work and live in New York City. Maybe people looking to visit New York City. Uh, we got President de Blasio saying, hey, we're going to be fully open July 1st. And that's good for a lot of businesses, one of which is the theater business, the movie theater business. And we are so fortunate today to have Richard Gelfond. He's the CEO of IMAX. Join us. Richard, I'm sure you're welcoming this news. Give us your sense of what this means for IMAX and for the movie theater business. Well, first of all, I'm, I, I, I like the news, but I'm a little bit cautious. I, I happen to be based in New York. I live here. And I've seen the dance go on between Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo for a long time. So you're quite correct. The mayor announced its opening, but we've seen, I've seen that movie before, and um, we'll see what the governor says. If you remember, in past iterations, the mayor said one thing and the governor said another thing. So it's a good first step, but, uh, but I'm not doing the happy dance until I hear from the governor. What kind of return do you expect when, if and when um, people are fully allowed to go back to the movies? Are the seats going to be packed? Are you leaving a seat open in between uh, viewers? How is it going to work? Well, we're going to follow the regulation. And, um, you know, th we've done tremendous, um, tremendously well in um, Asia, where the pandemic is largely, you know, passed over. So places like Japan and China, there aren't middle seats empty. There aren't middle rows. People wear masks. And, you know, we've set records. So in Japan, with even 75 percent um, capacity, um, we Two of the movies have been the biggest movies in the history of Japan during this period of time. There's been a lot of pent-up demand in China. Um, it, our December was up 28%. Over 20 was up over 19. Chinese New Year was up 30%. You know, believe it or not, when people aren't locked in their houses, they want to go back to their normal lives, and there's a lot of demand and go to the movies. So I think once it opens up, you're going to see a lot of people want to go and. Even in the last few weeks, Godzilla versus Kong did some fairly good numbers. Um, IMAX, we had over 1,000 sold-out shows on a weekend, but the problem was capacity was only 25%, so the numbers were limited. But I think once those limitations come off, you know, people are going to come. Richard, people will come if there's product to see. What is your understanding of how Hollywood's going to roll out movies you know, on the, in the back half of this year? So there's, there's a pretty set schedule right now. As you alluded to, there's been a lot of movement in the schedule, but I think it's pretty set now. So around Memorial Day weekend, uh, movies start coming. Quiet Place 2 comes out in June. Uh, I'm just naming some of the major blockbusters in June. Fast 9 comes out in July. Black Widow comes out. Suicide Squad, I think, is in August, uh, the back half of the year. Um, there is Top Gun Maverick, uh, the Tom yeah. Cruise yes. sequel, which I think is going to be amazing. Um, there's the new Bond movie coming out. By the way, both Bond and Top Gun were filmed with IMAX cameras. And so I am going to see them in IMAX, the only way. Good. The only way. Thank you. I appreciate the commercial. And I, I, um, I'll give you one, too. I'm an absolute cinema fanatic, and I love to go to IMAX films. Um, 
the one, my favorite theater here in Berlin was in Potsdamer Platz. It says temporarily closed. Are you going to open that up again? I don't know. There was some local issues. If you remember, there were two of them there, one at the Mercedes complex and one at Potsdamer Platz. So I don't know. Um, the, the, the one at Potsdamer Platz, I, you're right, is temporarily closed. I don't know what's going to happen. You didn't let me finish the list, though. As a cinephile, <laughs> you're going to really like it, which is Dune which is coming out at the end wow. of the year. And that's a real spectacle that will really benefit um, from those huge IMAX screens. All right, Richard. We'll pay attention, and we'll be looking forward to those movies. Um, interesting news. Again, New York about to reopen in, in July. Uh, that is certainly good news. Richard Gelfand, CEO of the IMAX Corporation. Now let's talk about U.S. GDP with Constance Hunter, she's the chief economist over at KPMG. And Constance, we saw um, GDP uh, numbers come out uh, this morning. It looks like um, we're going to see a, a pretty big growth swing, 6.4%, not matching the survey, but still strong, right? Uh, what, what's your view? Yeah, and when I dig down into the details, right, it's, it's goods, goods, goods. That's what drove this first quarter. And if we look out for the rest of the year, we think we're going to see now the pendulum swing over to services, which, of course, have lagged since the pandemic started. And uh, when we get news like New York City's reopening in July, that just further confirms our perception that we're going to see a strong demand for services really driving growth for the rest of the year. All right. So, Constance, given that where we are in this reopening trade here, give us your perspective on fiscal stimulus. What do you think this economy really needs, if anything? Mm. So I think what the Biden administration is looking to do is more than just stimulus, right? They're looking to reorient um, distribution of GDP to uh, the lower half or lower income uh, recipients of the economy. And, and that is a little different than pure stimulus, I would say. Um, and so things like child care uh, credits and things like education, um, these are investments that they're thinking is into our future. Um, this is something, I mean, the plan looks at a long time period for these being implemented. And I, I would look at it less as fiscal stimulus and more as a reorientation. Although with that said, um, given where we are growth-wise, it would seem we do not need further stimulus, right? That, 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 is, that is bringing coals to Newcastle for this economy. Um, Constance, when I was a kid, I will uh, cop to being a total supply-side freak. I, I first got into as economics. A kid? Well, in my teens, right? Okay. I, I first got into it and... I was totally an Austrian and I thought, you know, raising capital gains tax would just ruin the economy because nobody would invest. All of those views are gone. They're no more um, really prominent, credible uh, freshwater economists out there. Everybody you look to is, um, you know, a saltwater, Joe Stiglitz, Paul Krugman, Jeff Sachs. I mean, uh, Piketty for crying out loud. What happened to the right in, in, in economics? Well, I was with you, right? And so was Biden, by the way. He voted for the, for the Reagan uh, tax plan when he, was in a, when he was a senator. 
and and we thought that that orthodoxy made a lot of sense. And I think, like everything, things make sense up to a point. When taken too far, they actually can invert upon themselves and and be very deleterious. And I think I think what we're seeing, especially with regard to our our tax code. Um, is that we we maybe we maybe crossed a Rubicon and went a little bit too far where it ceased to be effective, and and you can't know that of course until you until you live it, and so now we're seeing uh, a, a viewpoint that we need to move back. I think that we need to be careful though with regard to that movement. I think it's it's better to take it in incremental steps. But but, but um, are there any Milton Friedman acolytes left? Oh, I, I think I think there are a few. I mean, I think there's you know there's the Art Laffer proponents of the world. There <laughs> there there are a few. There are a few freshwater economists out there. You know, you can you can find their op eds here and there. Um, so 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 they're definitely out there. But I, but I think one of the things that that we're seeing is when we look at the productivity the distribution of productivity gains throughout the economy from the 70s until now, right? We see them the diminishing return to lower income households of those productivity gains. And that's just not sustainable, right? We, we can't have a thriving economy going forward if that continues to be the distribution. So what's right, the, in 30, 30 seconds, Constance, what's the risk here? We're going to be getting so much good economic data. What's the risk here? Well, the risk is is that we we overheat a little bit, and and the question mark, which which Powell addressed, I think, very thoroughly yesterday, is is that transitory, as many economists expect, or does it have the possibility of unanchoring inflation expectations? In which case, the Fed will have to act sooner um, before they see full employment. All right, Constance, great to get. Your take on this, uh, it, it is a pretty strong growth when you when you dig into the numbers. And we were looking for 6.7%, but 6.4%, better than a stick in the eye, I think we'll take it. Constance Hunter there. She is the chief economist over at KPMG. I want to bring in Mark Douglas right now. He's the CEO of Steelhouse. Steelhouse specializes in targeted ads. They are also the leader in highly targeted ads on connected tv and is a partner with facebook and mark the interesting thing um i've i've noticed the last couple of days talking to analysts about facebook i thought the reopening would hurt um you know time spent on the website everyone that i talked to was saying you know the bigger the bigger problem is apple's privacy changes this could really hit facebook hard you don't see it that way no i don't and the reason I don't is because there are two methods by which Facebook essentially connects with the users, and I mean the technical connection. So one is mobile device IDs. That's what everyone is talking about. But also there are cookies, and I, you know, people hear a lot about how cookies are being blocked. Cookie, Facebook has cookies on virtually every interactive device in the world. So if Apple essentially blocks mobile device IDs, or I should say, you know, not as many people opt into that. Facebook has a multi-billion size cookie space. So they, they have options. These changes by Apple are not going to hurt Facebook. In fact, they're probably going to help Facebook. All right, Mark, it, one of the things, again, we look across the uh, some of these digital advertising businesses, most notably uh, Google and Facebook and crushing uh, top line numbers here. They both call out, or and certainly Facebook, the Apple 
privacy changes. Just briefly explain what those changes are and will they negatively impact the growth of digital advertising? Yeah, it's really simple. Your device has an ID, you know, it's other than your phone number. And so that ID is used in order for apps like the Facebook app to be able to essentially know, identify you or identify the device and, and essentially keep information on it. What Apple is doing is they're essentially saying you have to ask the user of that device for permission to do that. And so that's the change that Apple's doing and not blocking it. They're adding a step to ask permission. And there's a fear that a lot of people may say no. And so that's really what the issue is. And But like I said, Facebook has other options. And also, it's not clear that a lot of people are actually going to say no to, to essentially that type of tracking. One of the um, notable things that Steve Jobs used to say was it's not about giving people what they need. It's about giving them – sorry, not about giving them what they want, but giving them what they need. And um, – I feel like there's a lesson to be learned around targeted ads. People always say they hate targeted ads or they're, they find it creepy. Um, but I personally appreciate having ads pop up that are relevant to me and not just, you know, random stuff that I don't want to look at. Do you think that um, people maybe want them more than they think or need them more than they think they do? Yeah, I think the the way to think about this is when you go and buy a product, a significant percentage of the cost of that product was the cost to find you as a consumer. So if you go buy a mattress from a, an online mattress company, as much and that mattress costs a thousand dollars, as much as four hundred dollars of the thousand dollars is what it costs to market to you, to advertise to you, to find you as a consumer. So if you make that harder for the company, you're actually going to raise that cost. And eventually the cost of the mattress itself is going to have to go up. But if you do the opposite, then that cost goes down. That's why companies, when you buy and they send you emails, they'll send you discounts over email because it's now cheaper to, to market to you. So it's not in, in, in consumer interest to essentially make it harder to reach you as a consumer for products you actually want to buy. You're literally just going to have to spend more on those products. And I think that's not clear by consumers, but I think it's going to become more clear over time. And they will opt in to that type of, you know, essentially advertising and other forms of marketing. All right, Mark, looking at some of the results again from these big uh, digital media companies, Facebook and Google, again, crush it. Pinterest, however, uh, came in uh, you know, lower than expected, disappointed folks. Are we seeing, you know, a just... I guess more and more market share in terms of ad spend, digital ad spend, go to the big platforms, and I'll even throw Amazon in there as well. And it's just crumbs for everybody else. Well, I think it, this goes a little bit back to the privacy, you know, issue, which is as you have companies like Google essentially shutting down third-party cookies, you have Apple, you know, essentially making um, mobile device IDs harder. They're essentially consolidating their position. They're, they're not actually, you know, essentially making things more private because their data collection is being unaffected. They're just making it harder for everyone else. So they are, Google is, in fact, consolidating their position as a market leader through changes in Chrome. Apple, in some ways, is doing that with their changes to mobile device IDs. And so that's going to negatively impact everyone else. So, you know, the, 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 there is an element of that, but I think it's coming in the form of privacy that is not truly private if their data collection is completely unaffected. 
I got to finally ask you about the Yankees. They don't seem to be doing too well at the beginning of the season here. Uh, Mark, I, I know you grew up right by the stadium in the Bronx. What, what do you expect from this team? So I, well, right this very minute, I'm living in Tulum, Mexico for the last six months. I can't say I've been following the season very closely. And I'll give you one quick story. I grew up nine blocks from Yankee Stadium. But since I didn't have the money to go to the Yankee games, I was like, screw those guys. I'm going to root for the Mets. So I was a Mets fan living there, Yankee Stadium. Well, now you can afford to buy tickets to both, both teams, and not even go from Tulum. So great having you on. Mark Douglas joining us, the Steel uh, Steelhouse CEO, talking about targeted advertising uh, with Apple and Facebook. This is Bloomberg. I want to bring in now Mace McCain, President and Chief Investment Officer at Frost Investment Advisors. They manage $5.1 billion worth of assets. And Mace, we just had um, a, a strong GDP print. We had a Fed decision yesterday where you heard the words transitory, transitory, transitory. And yet Ford says the chip shortage is going to cost it $2.5 billion. Apple says it's going to be a 3 to $4 billion hit. It's not just the chip shortage. I'm looking for parts for my BMW R9T. I need an exhaust hanger and a GPS mount. They're made out of aluminum, and the company that makes them has trouble sourcing it. Plus, we just talked about copper prices, iron ore is surging, food, gasoline. Is this really transitory? There are elements I don't think can be transitory, or there's other elements creeping in. I think that we're going to be seeing pressure on upward on prices as we move forward. All right, so Mace, give us a sense of how you think this Federal Reserve uh, is performing right here, given what Matt just kind of laid out is some, certainly some signs of uh, higher inflation. I think that uh, they've kind of taken themselves out of the game at a critical point here. Um, they've said that they're going, indicated that they're not likely to remove QE or stimulus until the fourth quarter at the earliest is the expectations. But some of these... Um, these um, pricing pressures, as you pointed out, we're still seeing, uh, in spite of uh, first quarter growth, we continued to see inventories at a low level. And we also have not seen a resurgence yet in um, restaurants or hotel stays. So we're going to see continued growth in pricing pressure uh, in this and the supply chain. And um, some of these may be transitory, but there's other indications that some of the other areas may not be transitory. Um, labor shortages um, are continue to be acute. Uh, it's hard to get people to come back with the high government um, um, payouts, and yeah. it seems like people are stuck on the sofa rather than looking for jobs. I think that's going to have an impact on the uh, labor rates is one of the key factors. We, we've heard that also from yeah. – we've had guests who run restaurants and hotels, and they say they just can't get anybody to come into work. Of course, the answer um, to that conundrum is just to – raise what you're paying them. Um, that's another thing that then adds to inflation. And the Fed can't be terribly unhappy about that, right? They want to see two, two and a half percent inflation. But are we going to see more than that? Could we see three or four percent over over time? Yes, I think we could, especially in the short term. Uh, we could see higher um, as we try to, uh, as you pointed out on the semiconductor side, that's causing shortages in autos. And I think that that's going to give the auto manufacturers a lot of pricing power. And even some of the more commodity-like industries like computers and technology equipment, I think are going to have pricing power in the short term. 
So I think the the short term we could see of uh, some some very high uh, reported inflation numbers. The question is going to be: Is the Fed right in their bet that this will be transitory? That's going to be the key thing we're going to be looking at going throughout the year: is trying to determine is it truly transitory, and how much of it's becoming ingrained in the economy. Let's go look at one of the big drivers of inflation: oil prices. Here, Mace, uh, looking at uh, Brent crude at sixty-eight dollars a barrel today, up another. 1.3%. So definitely has been moving higher. We even, Matt and I were talking earlier this week about a, a Bloomberg News story, $4 gasoline at the pump in California. When does energy, the price of energy, become perhaps a headwind for the economy? I'm not sure when it becomes a headwind, but I do believe it's going to be one of those non-transitory price pressures. Because with the um, policy of the current administration, um, we have stopped building pipelines, which is going to make it more difficult to move supply in the United States. It's also going to be a detriment to drilling new areas. Uh, we're also making uh, it more difficult to drill on federal land. All these things are going to stack up at the same time to limit supply at the same time that we're about ready to increase demand. So I think you know we've not eliminated the need for oil and gas in our economy. And as the demand goes up, we're probably going to continue to see uh, higher prices on the oil and gas side. And that's probably one of those non-transitory factors. So if we start looking forward at non-transitory factors, we have labor rates, which may become ingrained. It's going to be hard to see those rates go back down. And then certainly um, energy prices. So those are kind of starting to stack up uh, in against the Fed case. All right, Mace, thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate your insight on this. Mace McCain, President and Chief Investment Officer at Frost Investment Advisors. As I said, they have assets under management totaling more than $5.1 billion. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.